Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 298 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On today's episode, we have a grand conversation with writer, actress, Prudence Wright Holmes. And we talk to Ms. Holmes about her early days as an actress in New York City, coming from Bexley, Ohio, working on the original cast of Godspell, having her first Broadway production with Meryl Streep on stage, We talk about her working with Woody Harrelson and Whoopi Goldberg as well, and uh, her role in the great Coen Brothers' most recent film, and uh, her own work, too, we discuss. Her one-woman shows, and uh, get a little insight about just the process and living, living life in general. Great conversation today with Prudence Wright Holmes. I can't wait to share it with you. We also have an EW essay titled Root, a poem by the great beat poet Lawrence Ferlinghetti titled I Am Waiting, read by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavise, and another poem written by another Lawrence, that one titled Happiness. And all of this, of course, as is always the case, will be imbued with the energy of several great tunes. So nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 298 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Ooh. 
are a few of my favorite things When the dog bites, when the bee stings When I'm feeling sad I simply remember my favorite things And then I don't feel so I sit here audaciously ignorant of how it is to be human. I think, therefore I am, in need of more information, or maybe I have too much. Looking at the lay of the land these end-of-year times in the United States of America sets a sense in me of unease and displeasure with my stead in life, even though by many parameters used to measure opportunity and security, at present... I am indeed a privileged person. I presume the phrase that I chose to use a moment ago is telling, at present. This stress, this fear that one needs to constantly keep up with the momentum moving us closer to winning, utopia, nirvana, heaven, immortality, power, peace. How preoccupied and lost all of this distraction leaves one as one stands inside of their own self strangely disconnected and scurrying or floating numbly away from it toward it in limbo with regard to it this depending on the pharmaceutical the psychology the religion of fear we take we are given we accept we struggle with and Not knowing quite what it is, where it comes from, we very often, most often, ignore the essence of all of this. Instead of seeing it, feeling it, believing it to be for each of us our own responsibility, it, this human existence, the calm, the genuine love and trust, selfless kindness and true depths of secure connectedness, singularity of courage and genuine commitment to open, enduring justice in living a sound life with the wisdom of knowing nothing is everything and everything is nothing. Our consciousness is already aware enough to satisfy all that we need Our society and institutions, though, largely do not see, do not believe. Thus, we continue to be guided wrongly and fall feverish as we misperceive.
Hello, Prudence Wright Holmes. Is that you? Hi. What if I share the bio that I have here for you before we get started so the listeners know a little bit more about you? Mm-hmm. And That's we'll... fine. Okay. Thank you. Prudence Wright Holmes, a native of Bexley, Ohio. Prudence always dreamed of living in New York City someday and being a working actor. Her dream has come true It wasn't easy at first, though. She had some weird jobs like driving a taxi, playing Santa Claus in Grand Central Station, even reading minds in the African room in Times Square. (laughs) Prudence Prudence was fortunate enough to be in the original cast of Godspell, which she helped to create. Her first Broadway show was Happy End with Meryl Streep. And Prudence went on to do over 100 TV commercials, including five for Federal Express. Her right guard deodorant commercial won a Clio. She has played a nun in Sister Act 1 and 2 with Whippy Goldberg. She has also enjoyed working with Woody Harrelson and Kingpin. And uh, one thing that Prudence is very proud of is writing and performing her critically acclaimed one-woman show, Bexley O, at the New York Theater Workshop. She also, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I want to talk about that a bit. And um, 
She has spent two and a half years in the Broadway cast of the Tony Award-winning musical The Light in the Piazza, which led to a performance at the Tony Awards. Yeah. She writes and performs one-woman shows across the U.S. and at present is featured in the Coen Brothers' most recent film titled The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which I just watched uh, last night, by the way. Great work. Oh. Great work. Thank uh, you. We're Thank very, you. very happy to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thank you. Um, what This is going to be in northeast Pennsylvania, is this? Oh, this is that will, right? This will be broadcast all, all over the country, actually. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we broadcast via Pacifica Network, and uh, oh. so there are stations in Vermont, and Maine, and Washington State, and Missouri, and New Hampshire that uh, syndicate our show, and Brooklyn, New York, of course, Radio Free Brooklyn, and uh, WFTE in Scranton, PA. So yeah, we're all over the place. Mm, wonderful. And uh, I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy ta- our, our conversation. So let's get right to it. I want to uh, share with the folks a little bit of your backstory. You know, what, what's your background? Mm-hmm. How did you get to where you are? I went to drama school at Carnegie Mellon. So, you know, that's sort of the beginning of it. But, I mean, I was always acting in high school and even grade school. So you just knew when you were... In, in in elementary school, that uh, this this was something that was uh, for you. Well, I don't know if I would say that I knew, but I enjoyed it. Let's put it that way. And uh, you you went to uh, college, studied drama, and then my and that was not in New York City, right? That was in Pittsburgh. Is that right? Pittsburgh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you migrated to the mecca of theater, New York City. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, the the early uh, productions you were involved in, I mentioned, uh, I guess Godspell was one of the big things to start off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, how was it working with Meryl Streep? Oh, she was great. She was not that famous then, but um, she was probably the most confident person I've ever met. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that uh, confidence. And uh, did so. You guys are contemporaries, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, when when you when you started working more and more in New York City as a young actress, how how did that how did that feel? You know, I, I actually I have a son who's going to be moving to New York City. Uh, this coming year, he's going to be—he's studying musical theater at uh, the University of the Arts in Philly, and he'll be starting off trying to make his way. So, I mean, there are a lot of people that try to do this. Uh, what was your experience going there as a young person trying to to make a living doing what you love in the arts? <laughs> well, um, I will say apartments were a lot cheaper then, so that made it easier. Um, you know, it's gotten really prohibitive if you need if you want to. Re- live in New York City. Um, But, you know, I just didn't think about how difficult it was because I just, I don't know, I wanted to do it. So I was willing to put up with the hardships of it. Yeah, I guess when you're driven like that, it does, and you're young, you don't care so much about, you know, not having too too much to to, uh, go home to. You're probably out and about most of the time anyhow. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I was in a 
fourth floor walk-up, and it was $180 a month, and it was a railroad apartment. It was great, though. Was that in uh, Manhattan or Brooklyn or Queens? No, it was Manhattan. Manhattan. And uh, did you start writing early on, or were you just trying to act? I was just trying to act. Yeah. And what got you into the writing? Um, well, uh, I was in an improv class, and um, I, I started improvising different characters, and it kind of went on from there. Yeah, that's what got you thinking you can create some characters? Yeah. Well, uh, you, you know, like my parents, I had a lot of charge on them. I didn't get along too well with them. And I think that always makes for good characters because, you know, you observe them very closely if you don't like them. And uh, so I was pretty good at uh, imitating them. Yeah, is, is that still in your work today? I'm not doing it anymore. I'm doing some other things now. When I uh, when I was watching um, Sister Act and when I Kingpin uh, and uh, the bow to Buster Scruggs, you're the way that you portray physically and and you know vocally the the character that you're you know you're you're in. It's it's pretty distinct. Uh, you know, is that where does that come from? Do you think? Uh, where do you? What do you? I don't know. I must be channeling a spirit guide or something. It just comes to me. I, I mean, I pretty much did that at the audition for the Cohen Brothers. I just got this. I I I don't know. I, I really can't explain it. I wish I could be more articulate. Did they, did they explain to you what they wanted, and then you just kind of took no, it? No, not at all, not at all. I, it was just up to me to come up with a character, so I, I just did it. I, I'm not quite sure how I did it. I wish I could be more articulate, but I don't, I don't know. It just, I have a feeling for those pioneer women. Yeah. I mean, in, in, the, in Kingpin, you were playing basically an Amish mother, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and the you know I have to say I watched all the vignettes in in, in the uh, in the film. Uh, I guess that's mm -hmm. the right word for them. And and that one in particular was the most poignant one for me. That uh, Allison and 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 William, you know, meeting each other and and that wagon train. Oh. That was such a beautiful and unbelievably sad, sad. Yeah. sad Little vignette. I don't want to give it away for people who haven't seen it. Um, yeah. But I mean, what did you think when you saw the whole thing done? Same thing. Something. Some... Uh, you know, I was just really grateful that I got to work with them because I I think they're masters of what they do. Oh, the Coens. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. How how do they? Uh, did you no notice the chemistry with with them? Did you work? Did were you with them both at the same time ever? Yeah, I mean they were both on the set when I filmed my scene, and they're extremely uh, professional. They really know what they're doing. They don't give you a lot of direction because they cast the person they want, so they just expect you to do it. And uh, how was the chemistry with the with your fellow actors 
around that table in that scene when you're having, uh, I guess, supper. <laughs> Good, you know. Um, I, I I enjoyed them. Zoe Kazan and uh, Jefferson Mays. They were both from New York, and so we were staying at the same hotel, and we had breakfast together, and you know, just got to know each other. Oh, where was it filmed? In Santa Fe. Ah, Santa Fe. Gotcha. Yeah, that was that was a beautiful vignette. I really loved it. Um, mm. And and now going going to your to your work, you know, you do, uh, you've written and performed and you continue to, uh, one woman shows, uh, some of you know, yeah. usually featuring strong female icons in in uh, our history here, you know, in particular yeah. Har- Harper Lee. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that show. Well, um, Harper Lee is someone I really admire. Because when I read Go Set a Watchman, in which she, this is the second book she wrote that they discovered, you know, just a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, in this book, she discovers that her father is attending clan meetings, Atticus Finch. And she's absolutely devastated. And she has this 10-page monologue well, I don't know exactly how long it is, but it's long. And she just excoriates him and tells him their relationship is basically over now. And I just thought that was so brave for a woman from the Deep South in the middle of the 50s to, you know, take that position. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And does it... In any way, some people I've heard uh, when they when they read the sequel uh, to To Kill a Mockingbird, it it sort of put To Kill a Mockingbird in a in a in a place they didn't want it to be in their mind anymore. Uh, yeah, a lot of people couldn't handle it, and they they were really upset to find out what happened. Um, but you know, To Kill a Mockingbird is the work of fiction. Right, right, and. So your show on stage, you address Harper Lee as, as sort of a progressive, courageous woman. Is that what the... Well, yeah, that's how I see her. I mean, I think she was a champion for civil rights because she was raised by... Her mother had mental problems. Um, in, the, in Mockingbird, of course, her mother's dead, but that was not the case. She, she did have mental problems. And so Harper was really raised by Hattie Bell, um, who was the housekeeper, the black housekeeper. And I think that gave her a strong sense of, you know, civil rights. And, you know, her father had some progressive ideas up to a point. Um, But when it came to Brown versus the Board of Education, he drew the line. He did not want it. Now, we're talking about her real father? Not Atticus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, her real father. Uh, yes, I, I, you know, I, I was getting confused there for a second. Uh, so her father was and her mother were both uh, progressives, too, to a certain extent. Well, I wouldn't say that. Um, her mother was mentally ill. And so <laughs> how she came down on the side of the civil rights, I don't know. But, um, you know, her father had some... 
you know, maybe uh, more liberal views than a lot of people in the town, but he did not want Brown versus the Board of Education. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, they, you know, that was, they're, they're coming out of, uh, uh, what was the town again? I can't, it's, it's escaping me. Uh, where, where um, yeah, um, Monroeville. Monroeville. Monroeville, Alice. Yeah, and you know that 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 probably was a, a tough context to be in, given peer pressure, so to speak. Uh, I'm sure, and I, I sometimes I I stereotype. I have to admit uh, certain regions of the country, and I I would presume that time period in particular it was probably, for lack of a better word, pretty racist there. Um, oh yeah, you know. Well, there's another scene in Ghost of the Watchmen where Harper goes to a some kind of party with people she went to school with and they're all making these racist comments and she's just saying under her breath, I hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I mean, she just wasn't having it at all. So was The Watchman somewhat of an autobiographical uh, part, do you think? To Well, I think they're both autobiographical, but I think um, to, you know, Watchman is more the truth of, you know, what really happened. But her agent made her cut it out because she said that it didn't really fit with Watchman. Which it's a whole different story. And, and I, I agree with that. Um, I mean, Watchman and, and To Kill a Mockingbird just don't fit together. But you think Watchman is a good book nonetheless, huh? Well, I think it could have been better had she you know, really had time to work on it. But, you know, I think she was just so devastated by her father's racist uh, views that she, her agent told her to put it away and she put it away and just forgot about it, tried to forget about it. And Prudence, how much time did you spend researching Harper Lee to prepare for your Um, I don't really know. Um, Maybe a few months. And, uh, what about the other important men? Well, I don't know how many important men she had in her life, but Truman Capote was certainly another important man in her life. What did you find out about mm-hmm. her relationship with Truman? Uh, he betrayed her because she helped him write uh, in cold blood. But when she uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for Watchmen, uh, no, not for Watchmen, for Ghost of uh, for To Kill a Mockingbird, he... Uh, took her name off of it. Jealousy. And she was scary. Yeah, he, was, he never won a Pulitzer Prize, and he was really jealous. And she was serious because she didn't have anything in writing. That was her childhood friend. So that must have devastated her for sure. I would think so. Yeah. And uh, how did that show focus? What was the name of the show that focused on Harper? My show? Yes. Uh, the Secrets of a Mockingbird. And uh, how how well received? Oh, it's been really well received. Uh, you know, I've done it a lot of different places. And what? It's been well received. And um, I think, like, the black audience particularly likes it because some black people told me they, they didn't really buy the heroism of Atticus Finch in... Um, to kill a mockingbird, it was it, he was just too 
good and too heroic, and that they said they they felt like Watchmen was more real. Ah, uh, so I got it. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. And um, are are you working on anything right now? To to uh, I am actually. Um, well, this summer I went to the Anne Frank House in Amsterdam. And um, I decided I was going to write my next solo show about Me Peace, the woman who helped Anne Frank hide for two years and um, saved her diary after the Nazis uh, came and took everybody out of the attic. What was her name again? Me Peace. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free... Brooklyn. Um, when do you think that'll be ready to, to share with the world? Soon. Yeah. Soon. Very soon. And these are about an hour long? An hour and... Yes. Yeah? Uh-huh. About an hour. And uh, how about... Um, I want to go back a bit to some film experiences because I wanted to ask you uh, about a guy I really enjoy watching, especially as of late. He's been doing a lot of good work. Woody Harrelson. What was it like working with Woody? Oh, he's a really nice guy. I, I like him. And I just uh, saw the director, Peter Farrelly. Uh, he directed that new movie, Green Book. I don't know if he saw it. Not yet. But but it's a very good movie. I've never plugged to it. Um, and I um, went to a screening of it, and he was there, so I got to see him. Woody Harrelson? No, Peter Farrelly. The director. Yes, he directed um, uh, Green Book, and he also directed Kingpin. Right, right. I'm gonna have to check out Green Book. Um, And and when when you look at what I mean, you're an artist. You're you you've uh, I I believe based on the little I I know about you, uh, you struggle and wrestle with your fellow human beings and the state of affairs in society. How, how do you think uh, things are going right now in the United States and, uh, you know, in the world at large? Uh, well, if you mean am I a Trump supporter, no. <laughs> I didn't think you were, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're an arch-conservative radio show. We're very offended at that. We, we are? Oh, you are? No, no, I'm just kidding you. No, that's a total joke. <laughs> No, oh, no, no. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, you're you're on Fox right now, Fox. I just saw a great documentary about Roger Ailes. Um, I, who started I, Fox News. Yeah, is that on Netflix? Um. Uh, well, I saw it in the theater. I don't know if it is on Netflix. There is one on Netflix. Yeah, I wanted to check it out. What, what did you What did you learn about him? Well, he was an evil genius and a, a sexual predator. And, um, you know, finally Rupert Murdoch had to put a stop to him by locking him out of the building. Really? Mm-hmm. Because he was so aggressive? Well, he was hitting on all these women. Oh, oh. Sort of like, uh, what's his name? Oh, God, I try to block him out. He he uh, he lost it all. He was a Fox... Harvey uh, Weinstein. No, oh, Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. part of the... Yeah, he was part of like the whole Ailes syndrome and the fall of that kind of mentality. 
Well, you know, you yourself as a female coming up through the arts and, you know, in the last couple of decades, what was your experience with regard to harassment and such? <laughs> well, I remember once I was this job where I was playing uh, Santa Claus at Grand Central Station. And uh, we had to wear these skimpy little costumes and hand out bottles of, it was Mrs. Santa Claus. We were handing out little, you know, bottles of whiskey for this particular company. And we were po- uh, po- uh, promised a $100 bonus at the end of our job, you know. And so when the job ended, this guy came in. And this was like 30 years ago. And he said, do you want your bonus? And I said, yes. And he said, uh, well, you have to let me watch you undress. <laughs> and so I said, um, what's your name? And he gave it to me. And I said, um, I don't think so. You can keep your bonus. So then I wrote a letter to the head of the company. And this was before any of Me Too or anything. And I told him what happened. We all got our bonuses. And he told me the guy had been fired. So I'm I'm happy about that. You should be. That's I'm I'm impressed. I respect you for that, especially when it was hard thirty years ago to do something like that. Yeah, very hard. You could have been blacklisted. I mean, well, I don't know. It's like I don't remember how I got that job or whatever, but I I wasn't going to put up with that. No, 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 and uh, I guess it's it's getting better. I suppose. I mean, at least people are aware. Yeah. I I don't know how much better it is, but <laughs> Really? Um I I don't know. I can't I can't speak to it. I'm not sure. You're skeptical though. Yeah. I do I do think it's just like I I mean, I think it's like something that's so ingrained and so I mean, yes, like very overt things like Harvey Weinstein is one thing, but you know, there are all kinds of subtle ways of putting women down that are still tolerated. You're right. I have to agree with you. As a white heterosexual <laughs> male, you know, it's easy for me, I guess, for sure. But I see it. You know, I have um, I, I have a lot of very uh, brilliant, strong uh, females in my circle. And uh, they point out things to me that I am totally oblivious to. You know, because I, I don't have to, yeah. and I be yeah. aware of them. You know, <clears throat> and it amazes me when they do point these things out. You know, you don't. It's it, it is so ingrained. You just think it's normal. Uh, yeah, exactly. And um, I remember I was renting a car in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and this young guy at the counter. He was like, "Well, here are your keys, young lady." And I was, I said, "Why did you call me that?" And He's like, well, I'm just trying to make you feel more comfortable. And I said, well, I'm not young, and I'm certainly not a lady. And he looked at me like I was a transsexual. <laughs> he thought I was a transsexual. He's like, well, what are you? And I said, I'm a woman. And he's like, well, thank you for explaining that to me. I learned something. You know, I'm so glad you just said that because I have this thing. I, I'm, I'm a professor, you know, and I have a lot of students. I'm I'm 52 years old, and a lot of my students are 19 mm-hmm. years old and such, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And I, I figured this out, I don't know, maybe a, a 10 years ago. It, it dawned on me. Again, probably with help with the help from some of my 
my uh, female uh, friends, that I would say back then, you know, young men and young ladies. And, and, and then I realized saying young lady is condescending. You know, it definitely is. So I started saying, which seems so logical uh, in retrospect, uh, young men and young women. Uh, young wo- so if, mm-hmm. if, if a student comes up to me and I'm, I'm trying to address her and get her attention, I'll say young woman rather than young lady. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a big difference. But it's weird. They even look at me strange when I say that. Do they? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes people aren't that aware. Right, right. They, they accept it even, you know, because they don't know. Yeah. Why. Yeah. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Prudence Wright Holmes here, writer, actress, and uh, all-around insightful and good person, I can tell from the brief encounter we're having here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. It's so nice having you on the show. Uh, Thank you. I I did want to say that, like, um, for instance, in my union, Actors' Equity, um, there there was a huge, huge protest when they tried to cast a non-Asian in an Asian role in Miss Saigon. This was like 20 years ago. But if they decide they're going to cast a man in a woman's role, everyone thinks it's just fine. And and it's like an interesting casting choice. But the fact is we have so many fewer roles than men. And, uh, you know, why do they have to take ours? Right, right. That makes sense to me. Uh, Yeah. There, you know, I went to. I mentioned my son um, at the University of the Arts in Philly. They did Guys and Dolls recently, mm-hmm. and they had all of the male roles played by females, and all the female roles played by males, and it was pretty in- interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good news. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I enjoyed it, but it was hard, you know, to wrap your head around it a bit, especially if once you know after you've seen Guys and Dolls, that, you know, produced in a more traditional way over and over again. At first, it was it was a transition accepting it, but these sure. people were so talented. After a while, they just kind of carried you into the into the story. That's great. Yeah, I worked um, in Philly at the Wilma Theater. Oh, that's, yeah, that's that's beautiful. Near near the um, Center for the Arts you're talking about yeah the kimmel is there and uh, a few other that, that that's the avenue of the mm-hmm. arts yeah mm-hmm. uh, right um well i, I we're, we're out of time for this go around maybe if you're willing in the future we can talk again it's been so easy to talk with you thank you so much you're welcome um are, when we're done i wanted to ask you a couple of questions um Privately, is that possible? Of course, yeah, of course. Uh, so, do you have any final thoughts to share for now with the, the listeners, given the the time of year we're in? Well, I, you know, I, I, I have this. Um, do I have any final thoughts? I do. I'm doing another show about Agatha Christie in Edinburgh. I did it at the Fringe Festival last year. It was sold out houses. And uh, I'm going back next year, and I also have a show about Willa Cather. And it's it's nice to do women you admire, because a lot of the roles I, I've been given um, are not all that admirable. But, I mean, uh, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful to be living the dream. What can I say? Yeah, it must be, it must be fun. And, it is. Uh, people want to 
seek you out. They can uh, look for you on on the web, I'm sure, right? Prudence Right Homes. Thank yeah, prudencerighthomes.com. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tour. It's a pleasure talking with you. All right. Well, thanks so much. I hope uh, uh, I hope it'll be a good radio program.
I Am Waiting by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. I am waiting for my case to come up, and I am waiting for a rebirth of wonder, and I am waiting for someone to really discover America and wail, and I am waiting for the discovery of a new symbolic western frontier, and I am waiting for the American eagle to really spread its wings and straighten up and fly right, and I am waiting for the age of anxiety to drop dead, and I am waiting for the war to be fought, which will make the world safe for anarchy, and I am waiting for the final withering away of all governments, and I am perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the second coming, and I am waiting for a religious revival to sweep through the, the state of Arizona, and I am waiting for the grapes of wrath to be stored, and I am waiting for them to prove that God is really American, and I am seriously waiting for Billy Graham and Elvis Presley to exchange roles seriously, and I'm waiting to see God on television and piped onto church altars, if only they can find the right channel to tune in on. And I'm waiting for the Last Supper to be served again with a strange new appetizer, and I'm perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for my number to be called, and I'm waiting for the living end, and I'm waiting for Dad to come home, his pockets full of irradiated silver dollars. And I'm waiting for the atomic test to end. And I'm waiting happily for things to get much worse before they improve. And I'm waiting for the Salvation Army to take over. And I'm waiting for the human crowd to wander off a cliff somewhere, clutching its atomic umbrella. And I'm waiting for Ike to act. And I'm waiting for the meek to be blessed and inherit the earth without taxes. And I'm waiting for forests and animals to reclaim the earth as theirs. And I'm waiting for a way to be devised to destroy all nationalisms without killing anybody. And I'm waiting for linnets and planets to fall like rain. And I'm waiting for lovers and weepers to lie down together again in a new rebirth of wonder. I'm waiting for the great divide to be crossed, and I'm anxiously awaiting for the secret of eternal life to be discovered by an obscure general practitioner and save me forever from certain death. And I am waiting for life to begin, and I am waiting for the storms of life to be over, and I am waiting to set sail for happiness, and I am waiting for a reconstructed Mayflower to reach America with its picture story and TV rights sold in advance to the natives, and I am waiting for the lost music to sound again in the lost continent in a new rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the day that maketh all things clear, and I am waiting for Old Man River to just stop rolling along past the country club, and I am waiting for the deepest south to stop reconstructing itself in its own image, and I am waiting for a sweet desegregated chariot to swing low and carry me back to old Virginia, and I am waiting for old Virginia to discover just why darkies are born, and I am waiting for God to look out from Lookout Mountain and see the ode to the Confederate dead as a real farce. And I am waiting retribution for what America did to Tom Sawyer, and I am perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for Tom Swift to grow up. I am waiting for the American boy to take off beauty's clothes and get on top of her. And I am waiting for Alice in Wonderland to retransmit me to her total dream of innocence. And I am waiting for Child Roland to come to the final darkest tower. And I am waiting for Aphrodite to grow live arms in a final disarmament conference 
in a new rebirth of wonder. I'm waiting to get some intimations of immortality by recollecting my early childhood, and I'm waiting for the green mornings to come again, youth's dumb green fields come back again, and I'm waiting for some strains of unpremeditated art to shake my typewriter, and I'm waiting to write the great indelible poem, and I'm waiting for the last long careless rapture, and I am perpetually waiting for the fleeting lovers on the Grecian urn to catch each other up at last and embrace, and I am waiting perpetually and forever a renaissance of wonder. I've got to go away Baby, it's cold outside This evening has been, been hoping that you'd drop So in. very nice I'll hold your hands They're just like My ice mother will start to Beautiful what you My father will be pacing the floor Listen to that fireplace roar So really, I Beautiful, please don't hurt. maybe just a half a drink I Put more. some records on while I pour. Neighbors might think, baby, it's bad. Lyle, what's in this drink? No cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew how. Your eyes are like starlight now. I'll take your hat. Your hair looks swell. What's the sense of hurting my pride? Really can't stay. Baby, don't hold out. Baby, it's cold outside. I really must go. But baby, it's cold outside. No, the answer is no. I say it's cold out there. The welcome has How been. How lucky that you dropped in. So nice and warm. Look. Out the window at that store. My sister will be suspicious. Oh gosh, your lips look delicious. Brother will be there at the Happiness. 
William and Allison finally find one another, but then the savagery of mankind brings them back to solid ground, as one has to struggle to find peace and reason in a deep swamp of loss. Who shall be the one that has found a way to escape such dourness? Happiness needs to be kept alive and true. And there you have it, episode 298 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, writer, actress, and all-around good human being, Prudence Wright Holmes. I also like to thank another great human being, my associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, as well as poet Lawrence Ferlinghetti, and these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, The Four Freshmen, Phoebe Bridgers, TLC, Lyle Lovett and Kat Edmondson, 
Vince Guaraldi, Brantford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. Until next time, let's enjoy this time. Of course, I wish you the happiest of holidays and best wishes for the new year. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care. <laughs>